And good morning. Boy, it's been a great morning, hadn't it? Y'all enjoyed worship this morning? Yeah, it was a wonderful time. So good to, to gather. I, I tell you, I don't, I don't remember a time in my life, 30 plus, 50 plus years of going to church where getting together from one Sunday to the next started feeling like a miracle. <laughs> I mean, it is, I mean, hey, gosh, week to week, the blessing of being able to gather. You know, we, we have to weigh certain things when we gather. Physical safety, you know, whether it's ice or viruses. But, you know, just as important as weighing that physical safety, uh, I think one thing I've learned, one thing I'm seeing in our church body, our family, is that uh, there's also spiritual, emotional, and mental safety issues that go with gathering. It, It is important to gather. And, yes, I'm including you, those of us that are gathering with us online. It's so important that we connect. God has clearly designed us and and wired us this way. So thank you for being here today. It's good to get up. When I say good morning, y'all having a good day that somebody's out there. It's just a lot more fun. So I guess it was um, 10 days ago, so February 11, maybe you have a similar Bible reading program. Uh, I was doing my my daily Bible reading, and as I've told you many times before, I, I do a a year through the Bible where you do an Old Testament, a New Testament, a Psalm, and, and a Proverb. And so 10 days ago, my Old Testament passage was Exodus 32. And the New Testament passage was Matthew 26. I didn't pick them. That's, that's just what's in the, in the flow of this Bible reading plan. And so that morning, I'm in, I'm in Exodus 32. And if you were to open to that, you would find the Israelites. They're there at the base of Mount Sinai. And just behind them, I mean, we're talking a couple of months back, is walking through, coming through the Red Sea. Isn't that one of the moments in the Bible you think, yeah, I'd like to have seen that. I'd like to, I'd like to have been there. I'm, I'm, it seems to me like that would leave a lifelong, life-changing memory, wouldn't it? And we're not talking about a lifetime later. There's just a couple months back there that they've walked through the Red Sea. And it wasn't just the Red Sea. I mean, weeks before that, they were walking through those plagues that fell on Egypt. They were protected entirely through that. And then they were delivered from slavery. And they came out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. And now here they are, they're, they're at the base of, of, of Mount Sinai, and up on top of Mount Sinai is Moses. Now remember, Moses has led them out into the desert, not usually a place you would choose to live or to hang out. And Moses has led them out there, and he's up on top of Mount Sinai. Now, we as the reader, we know what's going on in 40 days. That doesn't seem very long. Well, actually, do you know it's almost six weeks? So imagine with me, you have followed somebody into the unknown, and they said, hey, I'll I'll be right back. And six weeks later, you're, what, has he left town? What are we doing now? And they start to get a little anxious. Now, I'll be honest with you, I understand maybe that anxiety of him kind of disappearing. What, What I don't understand is what they see as a solution to that. And so they go to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they say, build us an idol. And, and Aaron, in a moment of just total insanity, builds them an idol. And the nation, and I, I mean, it reads, I would assume even Aaron, Aaron who's heard the voice of God, 
they fall down and they, they worship this idol. And as the reader, you know, I mean, you're looking at this and you're thinking, man, these guys are idiots. I mean, seriously, what, what else would you think? I mean, they, they know this idol didn't lead them through the Red Sea. They, they know this idol didn't deliver them from Israel, from Egypt, but yet here, here they are worshiping it. And then I turn to Matthew 26. And, and at the end of Matthew 26, we have not a nation, a person, Peter. And Peter is denying that he knows Christ. This is Peter who watched Jesus walk on water. As a matter of fact, if you remember the story, he watched Jesus not only walk on water, but he, he walked on it himself, right? Je- Jesus said, come on, come on out here. And he didn't get very far, but he did walk on water for a moment. This is Peter who watched Jesus raise the dead and give sight to the blind. Of course, he even healed Peter's own mother-in-law. This is Peter who was one of the very early ones, maybe the first to actually... I mean, there was statements of faith and ideas, but Peter kind of put it all together in a moment and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is Peter who just moments ago, not yesterday, not last week, moments ago, told Jesus, I will go with you to death. And now he's standing before a crowd of people. And and listen, there's no doubt that the the evening is tense. This is Thursday night. Tomorrow, Tomorrow Jesus is going to be crucified. Things are spinning out of control. There's a lot of tension. But as we know the story, as it reads, there was no actual threat against Peter. The crowd just simply said, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? And, and Peter not only says, I'm not his follower. Peter says, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I don't even... I don't even know him the name. How? How do you do that? How do you fail like that? And again, I'm, you know, this is just one morning, just a couple passages back to back. And I'm, boy, God, your people are just idiots. And if I can have, and if you can have just a moment of humility, and it is hard, isn't it? And just, just a moment of humility... I can look at these people making these awful mistakes and realize they're not any different from me. Just like a nation, just like a person, I have, I can, so can you. Experience God's goodness, experience God's greatness, know the realness of God, and immediately go right back to my sin. Like an Olympic sprinter, sometimes I can go right back. To the sin. How do you do it? Not, not, not how do you fail. How do you do it that quick? How do you go from this moment with God to acting like that? You know, it's interesting it, it, the way those stories lined up. But I got to thinking, really, you just page to page, story to story. It's a nation. It's a person. It's just a story of how we fail God And he remains faithful to us. And it's not just in the stories of the Bible, isn't it? You know, I am, I am, me personally, I am faithful to fail. 
And, you know, I'm committed to obeying. I, I walk with the Lord. I follow the Lord. I, you know, I feel like in most places I'm, I'm doing what he wants and I'm, I'm walking with him. And yet I'm wondering from God's perspective as he watches me day in and day out, what can he count on? He probably can count on me failing. Obedience? <laughs> That's the surprise. I'd like to think it's less and less a surprise. But when failure is what he can count on. And yet he continues to love and he continues to forgive. He can count on me to fail. I can count on him. Well, let's look. Look up here at a number of passages. I think probably a lot of these are familiar. And let's just remind ourselves of what God is faithful to do. What we can count on him in any day, in any moment, in any situation. What we can count on him to do. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. That's God. I can count on him to be merciful. I can count on him to be gracious. I can count on him to be slow to anger. I can count on him to abound, to overflow in a love that doesn't quit. God has a love that doesn't quit. And I can count on that every single day. Uh, Psalm 30, I can count on God's anger because God needs to be angry, right? There's some places it would not be right, it would not be just, it would not be loving if he were not angry in that moment. But he says, you can count on my anger being just for a moment. My favor, that's forever. Lamentations, boys, is a great one. The steadfast love, the doesn't quit love of the Lord never quits. I love that. The doesn't quit love never quits. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every Every single morning, every morning you wake up, there's fresh mercy for your life. You can count on it because great is his faithfulness. If we are faithless, well, that's kind of God to put the word if there, isn't it? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we confess our sins, and they are many. He is faithful. I can count on it. What, gosh, what's going to happen when I go in there and tell God I'm sorry? What's going to happen when I bow my... Man, I, I can count on his forgiveness. He can count on my failure. I can count on all that. I love that idea of, of Lamentations 3. If, you know, if there's a big barrel <laughs> of God's mercy... And I, I had the ability, I, I could be something, I could do something in a day that would literally drain that barrel all the way to the bottom. It is empty. It's full the next morning. Every next morning. It's full. Man, God's love's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, there's part of me that says, oh, thank you, Jesus. The part of me that it, it's almost so much love, it's hard to, it's hard to process. It's, it's, it's humbling, isn't it, to be loved like that? To have somebody that will never quit on you like that? I hope it is. It should be. But in a moment of appreciating that and being grateful for that, there's also a tremendous challenge in that because then God says, oh, by the way, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness that I've given to you, I want you to give that to others. And by the way, this is not a neat idea. 
something to shoot for in life. Hey, when you really get down the basics of being a Christian, when, when when you're getting pretty good at the Christian game, when you get to level 37, no, do you know that the moment you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, this command, not an idea, not an ideal, this command is on your life. Jesus is trying to communicate this to us, and he, he tells a story in Matthew 18. I've got a, a couple of verses up here trying to capture the story, and I'm not, I'm not sure those two verses by themselves do that. I, I encourage you to go read all of Matthew 18, but he tells a story of a, of a king who forgives this guy this tremendous debt, and that should lead to some gratitude in a, in a different life. And he goes out, though, and he finds another servant with a much smaller debt, and and he actually exacts a judgment on him. And this gets back to the king. And the king is like, what are you, what are you doing? What does it say there? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? We're all fellow servants. There's only one king. We're all felt, should you not have, the mercy I just gave to you, the forgiveness I just gave to you, the love that you just, shouldn't you have given that to somebody else? And and then in the story, we see the judgment that comes on him for not doing that. And then Jesus turns the story and he looks right at you and me and he says, so also my heavenly father. Okay, now we're not talking about a story anymore. We're out of the story. Jesus is giving the conclusion, the point. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you're not giving the love, the mercy, the forgiveness that you are entirely dependent upon. Do you realize you are nothing without God's love and mercy and forgiveness? Your being is entirely dependent upon it. And he says, now I want you to give that to others. What others? Well, technically right now that would be like eight billion others. <laughs> it's, it's everybody. We're supposed to do this for, for everyone. And that's, that's challenging, isn't it? Because people hurt us. They disappoint us. They fail us. Now, as we do them, right? We don't usually think about the other side of that equation. As we do them, as, as we do God. I mean, we, just like God can count on us failing, we can count on people failing. You know, I, I, I thought of that sitting at my desk writing this message, and I, I wrote that line, and I thought, you know, when, when I say people hurt us, disappoint us, fail us, what, what are people hearing? What does that mean? What comes to their mind? And so I started thinking, okay, what comes to my mind? And, and you know, I had a thought, and I don't know that I've ever, I've ever had this thought before. I thought, boy, I'm really blessed. Because when I think of the people that have hurt me and failed me and, and disappointed me, I, I don't really have anything on the front burner. There, like, there's like nothing that really comes to mind. You say, you say, nobody's ever hurt. No, of, of course. Of course people have hurt me. But I had to stop and think about it. And, and I found myself, I thought, how much, who, who? And, and so I started thinking about sections or places in life. I thought, okay, well, as a child. Oh, well, okay. I remember this teacher said that to me in front of the whole class. That kind of hurt. You know, and so you think about it as a child or a teenager or a young adult or older adult. And, and I can think, okay, there was this teacher, this coach. There was this person, this, this friend. Or maybe you could think about places in your life. Obviously, a pretty big place in my life is church. 
case anybody ever hurt me in church. You know, it's funny that there's some relationships that can hurt more because we have a higher expectation, right? We have a certain expectation that if we enter a place that has the word church on the building, that everybody's kind and good and going to treat you kind and, and good. That's funny, isn't it? And, and, uh, and because we have that expectation, when something less than that happens, and it does... Well, then it hurts a little bit more. I mean, I I shouldn't be betrayed at church. So I'm I'm, I'm making a list. By the way, that's not actually an exercise I encourage. Hey, go down and make a list of all the people you're mad at. All the people that have hurt you in life. Boy, keep it right there. No, but I I, I was. And I wasn't actually writing it, but I'm kind of making this list. And uh, I, I saw something else I'd never really thought about before. There's no family on my list. I'm not saying I've lived in a perfect family. I'm not saying nobody in our family hurts each other, disappoints each other, or, or fails each other. I, I'm just saying at the, this point, there's not such an offense, there's not such a wound that anything comes to my mind when I think about parents or siblings or, or a mate or children or grandchildren. Now, the grandchildren are young. Give them time. <laughs> but I thought, man, how, how blessed is that? That, that when I, As a matter of fact, I think part of the reasons that I can maybe better deal with pain and hurt out there in the world is because I'm not dealing with very much inside the home. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Why am I telling you that? Just know what a blessed life I have? No, because I'm getting ready to say something that's really, really challenging. And it's really difficult. And, And someone could rightly say to me, who are you? Who are you to say? You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I've already done. You don't know what I've already... You just said yourself, you're just living in a petal of roses up there. Who are you? And I would say, I'm nobody. I I want you to know that. I, I don't feel there's anything about me that has a right to say, you need to go home and you need to love. I don't think I'm operating. You know, there are some people who can. There there are people who've walked in places that we're in and they can get up in our grill and say this and say, yeah, I have had to do that. I I have been there. But I I can't in that sense. I, I don't know maybe what it means for you to be faithful, to endure to figure out what love looks like in that place. But see, the bigger question is always going to be, if, if I have no story or I could tell you some story that you really identify with and think, boy, he understands. Story or no story, the bigger question is, can Jesus? Can Jesus call you to a doesn't quit kind of love. Does he get to call you and me to go and do that? You know, I have said 
many times from this pulpit in a variety of different messages or, or verses. I've said Jesus never calls you, you personally, to do anything that he hasn't done for you or that he hasn't done himself. And, and, I, and I believe that. I still think that is true. But I also know how our minds work. And, and I, it's not biblical to think of big sins and little sins. But I think it's very practical to think, you know, this has been done to me. But I've never done that. Jesus hasn't had to forgive me of that. I mean, I don't, I don't know this for, for, for a fact. I'm, I'm confident there's at least one person in this room online. Gosh, I hope it wouldn't be more than one person. My guess is it is. There'd be somebody in here today that say, I've been raped. And I've never raped anybody. So I'm being called on to forgive this really, really bad thing. But Jesus hasn't had to forgive me of that. Nobody else has had to forgive me. of. So it seems, does that make sense? It seems kind of out of balance. That seems like when maybe Jesus is asking more of me than he's had to do for me or that I've had to, to do for, or somebody's had to do to me. And there is a, a kind of a logical, practical way of, of thinking about that. It's, it's not accurate. But if we could just for a moment set down the concept of big sins and, and little sins, and worse, these sins are worse and these aren't, no, aren't really any big deal, and we do think that way, and it is wrong. But you know, sometimes what breaks us is the big, huge offense against us. But you know, I find in family... There's a lot of times it's not the big, huge offense. It's that it never stops. It's over and over and over. All by itself, we would call it maybe one of the smaller sins. Not not showing any appreciation. Not showing any respect. Not communicating love. I mean, it's little things. But when they're done day after day after day, year after year after year, you know, little things that add up start to break us also, don't they? And at the very minimum, if all your sins are just these little tiny ones, at the end of the day, you have committed those sins against God day after day after day, year after year after year. It never, never stops. So God's not calling you to be something and do something that he's not being and doing for you. God is calling you and I to love with a doesn't quit kind of love. And as I said a moment ago, that technically, (laughs) well, who? All eight billion. But God gives us a group. A practice field, a place we go and, and we work at it every single day. And, and why wouldn't it be family? I mean, you stop and think about it. You can't really be practicing a doesn't quit kind of love unless at some point you want to quit. And you realize there's very few people who have a chance to fail me every single day. I mean, there's people who can fail me a whole lot. There's people who can consume a season of my life. But I mean, sooner or later, the school year's over, right? Sooner or later, 
he leaves that job, I leave that job, sooner or later somebody moves. There's just very few people that can fail us over and over and over for a lifetime. That's what we have family for. (laughs) Family has the opportunity to fail us continually, constantly over the course of a lifetime. I mean, this is the practice field that that's what we got a family for. Practice this. So we have said in this series that, that God has designed family, brings us together in family, and the purpose is holiness. That in my role, that in these relationships, in the problems and challenges that we deal with, these are all places to practice being like God. At the other side of family is me looking more like Jesus. And so what I'm, what I'm doing today is we, as we, cause we're done. We're done with the series today. I'm, I'm reaching up to that, that word holy. It's a big overarching word. And I'm pulling out of it just one idea to close us off with. Just pulling out of it one quality of that. And it's this steadfast love. A, a doesn't quit kind of love. Whatever I'm working through, whatever I'm doing, I can't quit. And again, I'm, I'm back to, as I hear myself saying that, I'm back to that, who, you know, who are you to say that to me? You don't, you don't know what, what, what I'm dealing with there at home. And part of it is, folks, is we've got a really messed up understanding of what love is. Because love in America is just approving of anything and everything somebody does and thinks and feels. If you feel it, then I'm supposed to applaud it. And, and that's when I'm loving you. And, and that's not love. You know, God's love, when we say your, your responsibility, my responsibility is to model, to live out, to express God's love, you do realize God's love says no. God's love draws boundaries. God's love disciplines. God's love doesn't pretend like nothing's wrong. God deals with truth. God deals with reality. And so when we say, hey, listen, you need to go home and have a doesn't quit kind of love, that doesn't mean go home and just keep putting up with it. Now, our, our challenge is we need wisdom. What, what does that mean, God? What does that look like to go home and love but not put up with it? To love but to say no, to draw boundaries. And, and you know what? The good news is God says, hey, if you need wisdom, ask me. I'm here to give it. I, I, I want to give you wisdom on how to do that. And you know, sometimes we get in a situation where the situation, the person has just so worn us out, we lose perspective. And I can't, I can't figure out anymore what love and boundary, what love and no look. I can't figure it out anymore. I've just, I've lost all perspective with this person, with this situation to be able to do that. And, and that's why God gives us the church. That, that's why we have a pastor, a counselor, why we have mature Christian friends. I need, I need some that are mature, that are going to tell me the truth, that are going to help me find that balance, that are going to help me find that wisdom, because sometimes I'm just not going to get there. I'm not, I'm not going to see it because the situation's got me so empty. The situation's got me so worn out. And, and it, it, it is difficult. The whole entire concept of steadfast, that means I'm tired that means I'm out of energy. That means I want to quit. That's when you're beginning to work on steadfast love. And there are challenges of what that means and what that looks like. 
But whatever it means to work through that. As we wrap up today, I would say. On the other end, it needs to look like a doesn't quit kind of love. And I know right now we think, well, what does that what does that mean? How does that look like? You know, this has been a very different family series. And I've done I've done a lot of series over the years. I've done a couple of series twice. I've done I've done Revelation three times. But, but nothing is really in second place to how many times I've done a family series. I mean, I do a family series about every two or three years. Some of them are six weeks long. Some of them, I think I've been as long as like 15 weeks. And we, we do a lot of family series here. And a lot of them we really do kind of try to get into nuts and bolts and how-tos and, and what-ifs. And this series, I've not really done that. And I feel like almost, ah, am I leaving it a little bit empty? Because, you know, it's one thing to get inspired. But if I don't know what to do when I get home, then what, what help has there been in being inspired? But really, my, my thinking behind this is sometimes we are so focused on the how do I change this person? How do I make them what I want? How do I make them what they need to be? How do I get out of We're so focused on the immediate answer, we've totally lost the why. Why do we have a family? Why does God bring us into a family? And do you realize if I don't have the right target on the wall, it doesn't matter what fixes the problem. Most of us, like 99 point something percent, get married and have family because we think that's going to bring love and happiness. That's the goal. My being loved and my being happy. And I don't know about you, but there's like one or two things in a family that can make you feel less than loved and less than happy. But if that's the goal and I give a couple of run-throughs on how to fix it and how to do this and it doesn't work, well, pretty soon I think, well, I'm just in the wrong place. I mean, the goal's happiness, the goal's, the goal's love, and I'm not, I'm not getting there with this. But ah, wait a minute. If the goal is holiness, if the goal is to show a love like God shows, well, now all of a sudden the very thing I want out of is the very best opportunity I have. That doesn't mean it's fun. But it's the best opportunity that I have to demonstrate a a love that I am so entirely dependent upon God showing to me. And you know, if if a couple of us will go home and work on that, okay, you're not done. Then you got to come up here and do it. You know, we, we work on it and our, God gives us a little tiny physical, biological family so we can come up to the spiritual family. Okay, you worked on that with four, six, seven. We'll add some extended family in there. So you've been over there working on that with 15 people. Now come in here and do it with 5,000. 5,000? Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately it's all 8 billion. Well, how am I ever going to love 8 billion? Like, we'll go home and work on it. You know, I I hope, folks, as we've gone through this series, you see God's logic and thinking. And you go, oh, well, that makes sense. I don't like it, but that makes sense. At the end of the day, one thing really, really counts. I look like Jesus. In my home, 
That's where I practice. When can I stop? When you're hanging on the cross. See, it doesn't. It doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. Let's take a moment as we wrap up, not only a a sermon, but as we wrap up this series. And let's just have a a, a time of prayer. Kind of dedicating our homes to this. And what I want to do in a second, I'll say bow your head and I'll give you three prompts for prayer. The first one, you may, you may actually want to pray out loud if you're with, with a mate. You, do, you could do this with a friend, a mate, children. If you're sitting on couch at home, you might want to pray out loud. And I, in, the, in this first one, we're just going to dedicate our home to God. We're going to dedicate our home to this process of growing in holiness and in a, in a doesn't quit kind of love. Now, the next two prompts, probably a little bit more personal in nature, so I don't know that we'll pray those out loud, but uh, we'll, we'll just kind of take a moment and, and have a season of prayer about what we've been learning and, and what we're going home to. Because it, it does need prayer, doesn't it? So, let, so let's pray. Let's bow our heads. And again, first thing, just take a moment and dedicate your role, your family to this process. God, may our home be a place where we're all going to end up looking more like you. And we're all like you showing that steadfast love. Just kind of take a moment of prayer and uh, lift that up to the Lord. Because some of this can be so hard. Boy, we need motivation. Take a moment and just call out in your mind one, two, three places in your life where you were really dependent upon God's love not quitting on you. Remind yourself of those places that need in your life. Give God thanks for it. Just take a moment and thank Him for that love for you that has not quit. And I'm sure there's some of us right now dealing with a, a situation right now. Maybe it engages, involves the whole family. Maybe it's an, an individual. But 
But just take a moment. Just lift up that, that thing that when you think of family is on the front burner right now. Just take a moment and give that up to the Lord. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we don't, we don't want to go home without your presence, without your wisdom, without your power. God, we want to go home and be and do there what you have in mind. Lord, I, I, I pray our homes grow us in Christ's likeness. I pray that our home and the roles I play in that teach me to love. Give me the exercise of a love that doesn't quit. And when I'm really frustrated with that person, Lord, may I remember how utterly, entirely dependent I am on you not getting frustrated with me, of you not quitting on me. Lord, give us that, that wisdom, give us that balance. I just pray that when it's, we're on the other side, it just looks like you, it just looks like you and it looks like your love. I pray that's what our homes are dedicated to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, as we wrap this up, I'm reminded uh, of, of, of the verse, the passage that we looked at last Sunday in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 to 6. And right in the middle of that, we have a, a promise from God. Uh, we just got to notice that we've been adopted. We're, we're now a part of God's family. And so we pick up our little orphan suitcases because sin orphans us. And, and we go walking up to the front door of God, and, and, and I'm invited in, not as a guest. I'm a family member. I am now a child of God. And God looks at me and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what you can count on in this family. And do you know, because God makes that promise to me, anything I deal with in this world, I know, well, he's, he's not going to leave me, he's not going to forsake me, so he's here with me. In everything, I have his help. What confidence. Boy, I want you to know that as, as, as we came up to today and that's why I've been, I've been praying for you, is that God in their home, I, and, and there's probably lots of places but right now, God, in their home, I pray this week they really get to see some dramatic evidence of your help. I've been praying that for you. I will be praying that for you in this week ahead. May they see your help. Amen? Amen. And we have that. Isn't that awesome to think I, I'm, a, I'm a part of a family? I'm, I'm a part of a family. I'm, I'm adopted. I'm a, I'm a full-blown child 
of God, and it's not because of anything about me that's happened. It's because of God and his love and, and the work of Jesus Christ. Man, if you're here today and you don't know that promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you, if you don't know how you engage that promise in your life, how you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we sure would love to have the opportunity a few moments to be able to share how that can be the truth for you right here, right now, today. As we walk out these doors, there's a desk right in the center, back toward the big window, and there's some folks standing there that would love to be able to talk with you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today and and be a part of God's family. Maybe you have questions about baptism, like we got to see today, or maybe becoming a part of this spiritual family, the church. You can go to that same desk, and they'll they'll help you with that. And uh, Uh, Just again, folks, thank you so much for the discipline, the work of gathering together so that we can all be healthy, so that that we can leave here. I hope, right, maybe a little bit fueled, ready, a little bit more spiritually, emotionally, mentally, got to do that physically safe also, but uh, got to put all of that together. But it has sure been a blessing to gather with you here in person, online. I'm praying for you. I love you. Have a great week. Go home and love like God. God bless.